Christians believe that um, God is not hiding, that he's graciously revealed himself as the almighty, loving father that he is, and he has done this finally and supremely in Jesus. But Christians in Britain are acutely aware that most people do not share their convictions. Now, why is this? And I suppose there are several possibilities. One possibility is that Christians are deceived. That the people to be pitied are not those outside the church, but those inside it. That we've bought into a lie. Uh, There isn't a God who's in sovereign control, and if there is, he isn't a God who cares about us. Now, that will be conclusion that most of us here this morning are not happy to make. We know that there is a God who cares for people and that in the Lord Jesus, we have a glorious Savior and King who loves us. So what's another possibility? Why are there relatively so few Christians in Britain today? Well, a second possibility is that Christians haven't been explaining the Christian message either boldly enough or clearly enough or attractively enough to their friends and neighbours. Now, there must be some truth in uh, this. The Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing the word of God. So if people haven't heard it, or what they have heard has been uh, unclear, or proclaimed by people who are actually uh, being godless, how can they become believers? But what about all those people who have heard clearly the glorious message about Jesus from actually from people who have been on the whole consistent believers and haven't responded? And that leads me on to a third possibility which I want us to explore this morning. And that is that not all people are equally open to the Christian message. Or to put it uh, another uh, way, there are certain features that distinguish a person who hears and responds to Jesus Christ from a person who hears about Jesus but rejects him. And let's be clear that the issue in all this is a person's response to Jesus. That is the issue. Have a look with me, please, at chapter 7, verse 20. You all got it there? When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, it is the identity of Jesus which is the real issue. Friends, whether you're a Christian or not, depends on have you can't have you recognized who Jesus is and have you responded to him appropriately and look ahead to what Jesus says in verse 23 blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me so who will receive Jesus as lord and king and who rejects him I want to suggest that it all depends on whether people are truth seekers or merely games players. And we'll look at each of those in turn. And I'll begin with the truth seeker. Now, the truth seeker is uh, well illustrated by John the Baptist and his disciples. 
So our passage begins, John's disciples told him about all these things, all these things that Jesus had been doing. Calling to them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? See, here are people who are wanting to know the truth. They are truth seekers. They're not sure whether Jesus is the expected Messiah or not, but they want to know. They're earnest. And I want you to notice some characteristics of these truth seekers. First, truth seekers may go through times of doubt. That was definitely the case with John the Baptist. Here he was, incarcerated in prison. Now, John the Baptist was the last of the kind of Old Testament prophets. God had raised him up, uh, we read there in verse 27, actually to prepare the way for Jesus. And he did. Uh, He preached boldly about Jesus' coming. Don't uh, bother to turn to it, but this is what we... Hear John the Baptist say about Jesus back in uh, chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel. I baptize you uh, with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, John the Baptist knew that when God's Messiah came, he would bring about the arrival of God's kingdom and with it, order and justice. But if that was the case, if Jesus was the Messiah, why was he, John the Baptist, still languishing in prison? And so today, we may find ourselves in all sorts of difficult and trying circumstances. And those difficult and hard circumstances can make us doubt God's goodness. We doubt whether God does care, or whether Jesus Christ really is king. We're being victimized, actually for doing something which is right. We're really struggling just to survive, really, to pay the bills. Someone we love deeply is desperately sick with cancer and is going through the most horrific treatment. If there's a God, why doesn't he do something? And we see the misery of those innocents who have lost everything through war and earthquake in Syria and Turkey. And Ukraine. And because of those hard circumstances, we can be full of doubt. Friends, there is nothing wrong in having doubts. Here we see John the Baptist. He's unsure. Doubts actually are morally neutral. So, can I say, if any of us go through time some periods of doubt, because of circumstances, 
which make us just feel kind of at sea. Don't beat yourself up about that you've got those doubts in your mind and heart. For most of us, actually, there will be times when we will go through periods of doubt about God. But what matters is what we do with those doubts. So although the truth seeker may have doubts, actually, they don't just kind of wallow in them. They, they don't just simply indulge them. No, actually, they take active steps to address them. Uh, they actually, what they do, they follow up leads that they have. They, they investigate. They, they hang on and, uh, and pursue what they do know so they get, get, a, get a greater confidence and clarity. And notice how in verse 18 that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus who he was. Now, <laughs> clearly, John had a unique opportunity to inquire from basically the horse's mouth itself. He could actually go and ask Jesus a direct question. But actually, at another level, here is someone simply following up a good lead. Actually, that's something we do the whole time, isn't it? Somebody told me you were a good plumber. Uh, somebody told uh, me that actually this was a good uh, restaurant. Uh, somebody uh, recommended this Netflix series. Actually, and many today have good, deep, good leads they can follow up. I mean, for a start, there is our, our very lives and creation itself. Again, which point to and proclaim the existence of a, an almighty, powerful, eternal creator God. And then there are the Christians we know. And we can easily ask people what they believe and why. If we hear of a lively church which runs inquiry courses, we can join a course. In fact, as we were hearing earlier, here at All Souls, we actually got one just started. Uh, meets on Monday nights in this, in this building and in this, uh, little bit tables around here. Come along if you are, really are wanting to know more and seek the truth. People can simply go online even and read one of the gospel accounts about Jesus. In the goodness of God, there are very few in this country who are not in a position to follow up a good lead. And the truth seeker follows the leads they have. Here's a a third mark. Uh, The truth seeker asks genuine questions. So John the Baptist had instructed his disciples to expect the Messiah, and they go up to Jesus and ask, are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, that wasn't any old question. It was a good, honest, direct question question. It was a question framed by the truth that John and his disciples had already understood. It was, it was a good question. And again, haven't many in Britain today had enough to ask a good question? For instance, just think of all those people who just pour into our churches at Christmas time. Don't you think they know enough to ask a quest, good question? I mean, who is this baby whose birth we celebrate? There are millions upon millions of babies being born all the time. Why do billions of people think that this baby and this birth is so significant? 
And this leads me on to the fourth characteristic of a truth seeker. The truth seeker listens carefully to the answers they get. It's interesting, when these uh, men go and are asked the question in verse 20, Jesus doesn't give them a kind of a straight kind of yes or no answer. Instead, he answers their question with a summary of his ministry, expressed actually in such a way as will enable them to be really sure. And so he says in uh, verse uh, 22, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And this uh, summary fits the description of the anticipated Messiah predicted by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So here's Isaiah 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And elsewhere in Isaiah talks about the dead being raised and good news preached to the poor. So the reader of the Old Testament who comes with this good question and hears this a summary of Jesus' ministry actually is able to put two, two, two together and get four. So the truth seeker comes with a clear question and actually goes away with a clear answer. Now again, today the scriptures are providing clear answers to clear questions. Perhaps someone asks, is there meaning to life? Well, the Bible gives a clear answer to that question. Perhaps someone else asks, what keeps me from knowing God? What happens when I die? Is there really life after death? Why is there suffering in the world? Why is marriage only to be between a man and woman? And there are answers in Scripture to all these questions for the truth seeker. So the truth seeker addresses any doubts they have. They follow up leads they have. They come under the sound of the Christian message and they discover Jesus and receive him because he is the embodiment of truth. But, and here's a big but, truth seekers are rare. And actually, but for the fact that God works in our life and makes us truth seekers, this is not human nature. No, what Jesus goes on to say is that the world is not really characterized by truth-seeking, but by games playing. So John's disciples leave Jesus, and Jesus then uh, turns to the crowd and commends John the Baptist to them. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Is that what you went out to see? Verse uh, 25. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. And when he went out, did you see a man wearing an Armani suit? <laughs> Surely not. What, what, do we, what were we expecting to see? You went to see a prophet, didn't you? And not any old prophet. You went to see the greatest prophet that ever lived. Do you see that in verse 28, what Jesus says? I tell you, among those born of women, 
there is no one greater than John. Quite a statement, isn't it? Why? Well, because he stood in such close relationship to Jesus. He was the one, verse 27, who was and come to prepare the way for the Messiah. To listen to John the Baptist was the best he could get. No one greater has ever been born. No one stood in a closer relationship to Jesus than John. Except, of course, that anyone who has turned to Jesus and belongs to him is in an altogether different position. So verse 28, end of it, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Just Friends, let's just take stock of that. If you have come to know Jesus and have put your trust in him, you are greater than the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Why? Well, in a sense, you can give a better and a clearer testimony to the wonder of Jesus today. <laughs> because you've known him. And you've received that forgiveness from him. You have recognized and embodied the one who is the truth. And then in verses 29 to 30, Luke interrupts Jesus' speech to the crowd to make his own comment. And the point that he's making is this. There has been this terrific revelation about Jesus through John the Baptist. And those people which included kind of tax collectors, the kind of lowest of the low, who, who listened to John and responded to John's teaching by being baptized, those people who were despised and hated by society at that time, those people, because they were true seekers, recognized the rightness of Jesus and his words. Whereas the religious elites who kind of disregarded John the Baptist were not only failing to be faithful teachers of God's uh, people, they were missing out on the forgiveness and friendship that God longed for them to have through Jesus. But according to Jesus, notice it isn't just the Pharisees and the experts in the law who missed the point of life. It's more widespread than that because people love playing games. Look at verse 31. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? What he says, what is my generation like? Let me tell you what they're like, he says. Verse 32. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. See, Jesus likens human nature to children playing a game in the marketplace. So there are some children calling out a tune, and the game is you expecting that other children will respond accordingly. So we played the pipe for you, and we expect you to dance, but you didn't. You didn't play the game. Uh, we sang a dirge, and we expected you to play the part of a mourner crying, but you didn't do it. You didn't play the game. And it's typical of human nature to want to call the tune. 
So in Jesus' day, they went and listened to John, but they found that John wouldn't dance to the tune they played. He was too austere for them, verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. In other words, he's not the sort of person we want to listen to. I mean, he's, a bit, he's, a bit, he's, all, he's all crazy. He's extreme. He's a fundamentalist. Too narrow. And then they come and listen to Jesus. But Jesus won't dance with their tune either. He was too much a man of the world. Verse uh, uh, 34, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and, and sinners. In other words, um, he, he's, not, he's not religious enough. He doesn't fit into the idea we have of what God's chosen king, Messiah, should be. The people of this world, says Jesus, are like children calling out tunes, expecting God to dance those tunes. And of course, the almighty creator God is not going to dance to our tunes. And so people are disillusioned. They're like fed up kids who don't get their own way. But as a result, they are also unbelievers. Because while people are calling out tunes to which God is supposed to dance, people cannot and will not hear the tunes that God is playing. Whether it be the kind of the serious rebuke from John the Baptist, the warning, to get ready, or a message of saving grace from Jesus, the Christ. Let me give some illustrations of all this. My old church, uh, I was at before I came to London, was uh, uh, the borough church of uh, Windsor and Maidenhead. And as such, we used to uh, hold a number of civic services during the year. And from various... uh, from time to time, various council officials will say, look, we don't want it to be too religious. Do we have to have a sermon? You can imagine what answer they got. Now, who's wanting to call the tune in that situation? It's not Almighty God, is it? But of course, God cannot be manipulated, manipulated like that. God has, God has so much to say to us. And if we listen, we will hear it. But before we throw stones at other people, we need to consider whether this could be true of us here. Friends, can I say that's one of the reasons why, by the way, we're doing this culture review at the moment. As a church, we don't want to be unintentional games players. So all of us, we, we come to All Souls on a Sunday. We want to know and experience God. But do we just want to do it on our terms? So we will come to church if it suits us and we feel like it. But if it doesn't, we won't. Actually, when we're actually casual about coming under the the sound of, of, of God's word, we're not being truth seekers when we're doing that, are we? We're being games players. Similarly, it's possible for people to treat church like a consumer. So we choose like a church like we would choose a school for our children or a shop for our clothes. 
It must suit us. It must play the right tunes. But if we go to church just to hear the minister and the fellowship dance to our tune, then the chances are we'll end up by being games players rather than truth seekers. Again, this is something I've seen throughout my ministry. There would be people who came to St. Mary's Maidenhead for a while, and then suddenly they would stop coming. Now, why was that? Well, it may possibly have been because they didn't get a good welcome and that the church was at fault. Uh, I'm sure sometimes it was that. But what I suspect was happening more often than not is that someone was saying, I was calling out a different tune and you didn't dance to my tune. You said something which was odds to the tune I was calling out. And so they went away, possibly making excuses. That church is too dogmatic, or that church is too liberal, or that church is not loving. That may have been true on those things. But it could have been that the issue was not actually over faithfulness to living out the Bible's teaching, but actually something else. And when people behave like that, when we're behaving like that, we're not at that point being truth seekers, but games players. So, that's the question for us this morning, friends. Are we going to be truth seekers or games players? If we're truth seekers, we'll be those who will humbly come to Jesus and listen carefully to the Bible, the Word of God, and we won't just listen, we will be changed. Look at the last uh, sentence of this uh, section, verse 35. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. And the point is this, is that wisdom is not um, something that you get from uh, getting GCSEs and A-levels and university degrees. Wisdom is not seen in career seniority. Rather, wisdom is a life that is focused on God. Wisdom is, uh, is seen in a life that is being actually transformed by the power of the living God. Wisdom is seen in people who actually face their doubts and address them, who ask good questions. Wisdom is seen in people who seek after the truth. Wisdom is seen in people actually who come to Jesus and will not let him go. And next week, as we look at the last section of Luke 7, we will meet one such wise woman. Let's have a a moment of quiet, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's just bring our own thoughts to Almighty God. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Our gracious God and Father, please give us those humble hearts that we might, by your Spirit, be those who constantly seek after the truth and in finding Jesus and learning from him We will not let him go. Amen.